If we were reading our Bible from start to finish, going from Genesis to Revelation, whenever we would turn the page at Malachi and flip one time and we'd be at Matthew, what that doesn't convey is that there were, when Malachi ended in chapter 4, 400 years of silence from God. What I mean by that is there were 400 years when God didn't audibly speak to people. He didn't, he didn't impress upon any of the prophets or any of the biblical writers, obviously, because there is no Bible record for the 400 years of what we call the 400 years of silence. From the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew. And so in Matthew 1, 1, according to our canon of Scripture, here's how it opens up. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so for the next 17 verses, from verse 1 through verse 17 of Matthew 1, it gives us a genealogy. And by the way, it's that way for a reason. And if you come back tonight at 5 o'clock for our Bible study, we're going to uncover and talk about the reasons for the genealogy of Jesus there in Matthew 1. And I don't want you to miss it. I want you to come back and be with us because there's some wonderful stuff in there. Okay. But then... After 17 verses of a genealogy, then it says this, and the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Chapter 1, verse 18. And it basically that's saying, now, here's how the story unfolded. Here's how it broke down, stage by stage. And then it begins to tell us about this young lady, a virgin named Mary, who had never known a man, and she was espoused or engaged, as we would say. It was more than an engagement. She was promised to this dude named Joseph. They weren't, they were legally married, but they had not celebrated it with a ceremony or with the consummation of the wedding or anything like that. They hadn't come together physically. And then all of a sudden, verse 18, and she was with child. Boom goes the dynamite. So you have this unmarried young lady, a virgin. She's never known a man. She's supposed to be marrying this dude named Joseph, and she's with child. That's a double Shazam right there in itself. That's an eye opener. <laughs> and you know, we read it and we're like, oh, okay, you know, I know the rest of the story, but you gotta understand these dudes reading it for the first time, they didn't know the rest of the story. So when they're reading it and seeing it, they knew what a big uh-oh that was. Because in verse 19, introduced Joseph. And you know, the Scripture says, hey, he's a good man. He hadn't been with her physically. He was supposed to be marrying this gal, and it's revealed to him that she's with child, and he's thinking about putting her away privately, putting her in isolation. So we, Matthew gives us the scenario from Joseph's perspective. Luke, on the other hand, 
two books later in his gospel, he gives us the analogy, he gives us this, this story, this narrative, this true narrative from Mary's perspective. And so that's where we are in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It's, it's no less controversial and complicated. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Stop right there. That in itself was monumental because remember, gang, we're dealing with 400 years of silence. And God is sending Gabriel, the announcement angel, right, to this young lady who, by the way, listen very carefully, was a godly, godly, godly lady. She was not perfect. She was not sinless. But she was a deeply spiritual, godly young lady who was pure and virtuous. She's just living her life, okay? She didn't have any grandiose dreams of being the mother of the anointed one. She was a poverty-stricken, poor Jewish young lady, just like a lot of poverty-stricken Jewish young ladies in first century Israel. Just living life. <laughs> this wasn't on her radar screen. I know they didn't have radars back then, but if they did, it wouldn't have been on her screen. And this angel shows up to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, verse 27. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Wow, what an announcement. Hey, I want you to know you are highly favored. You are going to be blessed by God. But ladies and gentlemen, as great and grandiose as those words were, and they were true, at that very moment, Mary wasn't about to feel very blessed because of the announcement. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and we understand why. <laughs> An angel from God, Booyah, pops out of nowhere, she knows that the Lord's been silent for 400 years. And now God, through the angel, is talking to her. Sure, she was scared. She was troubled and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. In other words, she's sitting here thinking, what have I done wrong? <laughs> Why would an angel from God be standing right here? Uh-oh, she had a case of the all snap, you know. <laughs> Uh-oh, what, what have I done? And that's why in verse 30, the angel says, hey, 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 no, 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 no. Fear not, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold... Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Savior. Like, Wait a minute, it says Jesus. Okay, I know Jesus was the equivalent of Joshua, the New Testament equivalent of Joshua, and Joshua in the Hebrew means Savior. So the angel says, I want you to know, you're about to give birth to a baby boy that... It, and he's going to be the Savior. She understood what that meant. And then her question, notice this, he says in verse, uh, uh, verse 32, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. 
And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And all of a sudden, it dawned on Mary what the angel was saying. The angel was saying, Mary, Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. You mean the, the, capital M, big M, Messiah? Yes! Not just a prophet, not just a messenger, the Messiah. Well, she knew what that meant. She was a Jewish girl. She had been trained and taught all her life what it would mean when the Messiah came. That means he's the king, yo. He's the Lord. He is, he's like the real deal. She understood that. No wonder she was petrified. No wonder she was scared. No wonder the angel had to say, hey, it's okay. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. And to add to that this, she says in verse 34, the logical question, Mary said, how shall this be? (laughs) Seeing I know not a man. She's saying, I've, I've, I've never, I've never been with anybody. See, she knew, she knew that, that she had never been with Joseph or anybody else. And she knew if it really was going to be God's child, God's son, the Messiah, it wouldn't be that, that Joseph, there's just how, how, how can this happen? She knew the cultural implications of a young lady being with child who wasn't officially technically married yet. She's no dummy. She knew the scandal that would erupt because of that. No wonder she said, I don't understand how can this be? And the angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest, the power of God shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now fast forward through chapter 1, look at chapter 2, verse 1. And the, 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 the issues just keep coming. Because <laughs> here she is, she's going to be the mother of the King of Kings. She's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And, you know, there's no palace. <laughs> there's no soft, comfortable uh, birthing place. Okay, look at look at chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city. Wait a minute, hold, hold back up. Joseph? Is this the same Joseph? This is the same Joseph. It says that Joseph went up out of Nazareth unto Bethlehem, unto the city of David, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went up there to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, of course, of course, The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. 700 years before these events took place, God declared something to his prophet Isaiah. 
that is just as true now as it ever has been. (laughs) He said in chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 of Isaiah, for my thoughts, listen, my thoughts, God said, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Someone has correctly referred to these events and the narrative in Matthew and Luke as being part of the divine drama of redemption, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. But if you and I were drawing up this divine drama and scripting it, we would have drawn it up a completely different way, I really believe. You see, we would have made it a big celebration. But God, on the other hand, (laughs) whose thoughts are different and thoughts are higher than ours, He wanted it to be done in relative obscurity. We would have scripted it to unfold in broad daylight where everybody could see it and know. But God chose this grand narrative to unfold, not in broad daylight, but at night, in the dark and in an out-of-the-way location. We would have had his arrival be in the royal palace in Jerusalem with every creature comfort available, but God chose a sheep stall with a feeding trough and swaddling cloths. We most certainly would have chosen a plan that was, number one, easy, (laughs) and number two, logical. But God's plan? No. His plan was anything but easy. And it surely didn't match up with human logic. (laughs) Week one of our study in Celebrate Jesus, we learned that we celebrate Jesus by passionate evangelism. Last week in in our study, uh, we learned that we celebrate Jesus through pure worship. This morning, we're going to learn that we celebrate Jesus through radical trust. Radical trust is trust when it doesn't make sense. Radical trust is trust when you don't feel like it. Radical trust is trusting God when His way differs from our way. Let's talk about this. We learn first of all, I want you to notice with me, consider what I call the supernatural nature, the supernatural nature of these events. Because in chapter 1, verse 26, all the way down through verse 35, we, we learn that there are so many things about this narrative, this story, this true event that, 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 that are completely supernatural. You can't explain it humanly speaking. First of all, there's the miraculous conception. How, 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 how could a woman who never had any physical relationship with anybody, any man, be able to conceive? That's a biological impossibility. That's why it had to be supernatural. 
That's why it, it, you, you can't, it, it, it doesn't make sense to the human brain. This conception was, there's no doubt, miraculous by divine power alone. There's the miraculous conception, then there's the virgin birth. She had never known a man. By the way, you and I better thank God forever that it was a virgin birth, ladies and gentlemen, because a Messiah that was born of man could not have been God in the flesh. And Jesus was God in the flesh. Oh, dear one, he was 100% God and at the same time 100% man and neither one compromised the other. His deity did not compromise his humanity and his humanity never compromised his deity. The virgin birth was an absolute necessity in order for that to take place. Was it supernatural? Oh, buddy boy, you better believe it was. It had to be miraculous. You say, Christian, do you have any trouble believing in the miracles of the Bible? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, no, I do not have one iota of trouble believing in the miracles of the Bible. For one thing, I know what a miracle Jesus performed in my life when he saved me. So some of us say amen right there. I don't have any trouble believing in the miracles of a supernatural God who's infinitely perfect and infinitely powerful. I don't have any trouble. I don't strain at that, believing that Jesus was virgin born. One of the things that that tells us is most of the time, most of the time, God's way is not our way. We would have done this altogether differently than what he chose. And sometimes in your life, his way is going to be different than your way and mine. So consider, secondly, the scandalous nature of these events. Listen carefully. You see, it wasn't all roses and berries. Because in chapter 1, verse 27, it says that the angel appeared to, here we go, a virgin who was already promised, already espoused, already engaged, technically, legally married to a man named Joseph. And here she is with child. You don't think that caused some controversy? Fast forward the story, and when it came time for her to deliver, nothing was as what I'm sure she thought it would be. Certainly not what we would have planned. So let me paint this scenario. Both Mary and Joseph were considered poor or low class. Mary was a virgin was supposed to marry Joseph. Technically, she was already considered his wife under the law. The fact that she was with child and he wasn't the biological father was extremely scandalous. Joseph very easily could have had her stoned to death under the law. He could have divorced her or he could have put her away into seclusion and isolation. And that's exactly what he was leaning toward doing until God, through the angel, appeared to him in a dream. So as if her months of pregnancy were not long and difficult enough, (laughs) 
Can you imagine her first conversation with Joseph after this revelation? Uh, Joseph, uh, we need to talk. <laughs> I have something I need to tell you. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> yeah. If this, if these nine months weren't difficult enough, can you imagine her delivery was even less enviable? It took place away from familiar settings, away from family, away from friends. For the most part, only strangers awaited them in Bethlehem. The journey there was most likely either on foot or on the back of a donkey. And that journey of a 90 miles, which would have taken several days to execute, Neither one of these scenarios was appealing to a woman great with child on the verge of delivery. <laughs> and you mothers know that when you get to that point, ain't there's nothing that can make you happy. You're just miserable, miserable, miserable. Scholars estimate that journey would have taken several days due to the terrain and Mary's condition. The journey itself brought several threats along the way. There were lions and tigers and bears. Oh, no, I'm just joking. There was. But you can't take out the tigers. <laughs> there were lions, for real, scholars tell us. There were bears that they had to contend with. Wild boars. <laughs> Sounds like Wayne County, doesn't it? <laughs> Bandits, thieves, harsh, cold, wet conditions. Highs in the 30s during the day, cooler at night. It appears when they got to Bethlehem, there was no midwife there, no family there to help deliver the baby besides Joseph. <laughs> Not the ideal helper in the minds of most, right, ladies? That's <laughs> supposed to be a little funny there, you know, just if you think back to... Anyway, all right. While it was an infinitely holy night... Given the conditions of an odor overcrowded Bethlehem, it was anything but silent. Perhaps a barn. Maybe a stable. Maybe, as we talked about two weeks ago, the natural birthing area for little ewe lambs. <laughs> Not your ideal place for a human baby to be born, much less the king of the universe. It was dark. Damp. Nasty, smelly. The crib was a mere feeding trough. Hay was the only thing to provide any softness on which to lay that little baby's head. Cold, obscure. Don't you know questions had to abound? Questions like, Lord, <laughs> why now? <laughs> Why here? Why us? Why me? Questions like, why does everything have to be so hard? Questions like, what are we supposed to do now? You ever been there? Sure you have. You ever asked, the Lord those same questions 
why now? Why us? Why does life have to be so hurtful? Why does life have to be so difficult? Why does it have to be such a struggle? You see, this plan made no sense to them. How is it that the Son of God should enter the world? This wasn't lining up. Think of all the emotions that these two had to battle over the last nine months. Awkwardness, fear, anxiety, suspicion. Is she telling me the truth? (laughs) Has she really been faithful to me? (laughs) Inadequacy. You think Joseph and Mary ever said, wait a minute, we can't do this. (laughs) I can't do this. This is too much for me. I'm not good enough for this. I'm not godly enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not ready for this. Yeah. So here's the truth. You see, some of the time, God's way clashes. With our way. It's not just the fact that it's different. It's not just the fact that his way is higher than our way. There are so many times in life when God's plan cuts contrary to our preconceived schedule. That's not how we'd have done it. In fact, Lord, we had our train headed in a different direction. We're not supposed to be going this way. That's not fitting in our timeline. You see, gang, trust leads to obedience. And obedience leads to peace. I'm asking you this morning to embrace radical trust. I'm asking you to let God help you and help me in the seasons of our lives that do not make sense sometimes. And everybody in here understands what I'm talking about. You know what it is to get that phone call that can change the trajectory trajectory of your life. You know what it is to lose someone. You know what it is to be faced or threatened with a physical disease or a physical challenge. You know what it is to have that financial reversal. You know what it is to be disappointed and hurt. Many of you know what it is to be betrayed You know what it is to walk a hard road. And one you wouldn't have picked for yourself had it been within your power. And ladies and gentlemen, that's where radical trust is an absolute must. Because you know this, if you're mature, you know that life isn't about you. And you know that you always don't get to choose the outcomes. 
but you do choose how you're going to respond. You choose the steps you're going to take in response to the situations. And that's where radical trust is involved. And when you choose to trust radically, then God supplies the power for you and I to obey. And when we, when we obey with the right heart, then that's when God supplies us with a peace that absolutely passes all human understanding and description. You can't describe it to somebody else. They've got to walk that road with you in order to experience the same peace. Dear friend, I beg you, I urge you, I challenge you this morning to trust God enough to obey and not lose heart even when his plan differs from our plan and doesn't make sense. So we've looked at the supernatural nature. We've looked at the scandalous nature. And I want you to lean in. Listen very carefully. I close with this. We can't close the book on this message without looking at what I call the salvific nature of this story. You say, the what? The salvific. Let me tell you what that means. That's a one dollar word with a 25 cent meaning. Okay? Let me tell you what it means. It's related to God's salvation. You see, there is something about this story where every single element brought to a head, contributed and led right to our soul's eternal salvation. That means, and by the way, Mary understood that when she heard the words from the angel. Joseph understood that as these words were being revealed to him in his dream that the Savior, Jesus, was going to be born. Jesus was the little baby in the womb. It was the Savior of the world, not just to deliver them from Roman domination, not just to get the Roman boot off the neck of the Jews. That's not why Jesus came but this baby boy in Mary's womb wouldn't save just the Jews he would save the whole human race not just from oppression he would hear me hear me he would save us from ourselves he would save us from our sins he would save us from an eternity in hell. He would take our place, my place, your place, and the place of everyone in the whole world. And you have to fast forward 33 years to get to the climactic chapter in this whole narrative. Because see, Bethlehem was not the end. While we appreciate the crib, the manger. Oh, dear friend, if you don't see the cross in the shadow beyond the manger, you've missed it all. But praise God, He doesn't just end at the cross. <laughs> Fast forward to Sunday morning because 
Gleaming past the manger is the cross. And gleaming past the cross is a tomb that is empty. Glory to God. That's what this story's all about. It's about salvation. And we understand that, ladies and gentlemen, that only God can take this mess and make it redeemable. In this case, only God could take a mess and use it to play an integral part in the redemption of the world. And here's the truth I want you to hang on to, friend. You see, most of the time, His ways are higher than our ways. Some of the time, His way clashes with our way. But hear me, all of the time, His way is better than our way. Every time. In your life and mine, from an earthly perspective at first, They had no clue how God was going to weave and orchestrate and work His ultimate, eternal, divine plan in the midst of such chaos and confusion. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're wondering the same thing about your life. How in the midst of my hurt is God going to work His plan? How is God getting glory in the midst of my disappointment and my grief? He makes miracles out of our messes. He uses our burdens to become blessings sometimes for us, but many times not just for us, for other people. He turns our mourning into rejoicing. He brings meaning to our pain, our brokenness, our chaos. He does it in such a way, dear one, as to clearly reveal His divine fingerprints and in a way where He only gets the glory and the credit. You see... And I want to be careful any time, any time I refer to myself or anybody else that we know as an illustration of this or that, I never ever mean because I know what I am. I'm not worthy of anything. Here's what I know, dear one. Jesus, Jesus is the hero in every single illustration. Jesus is the hero of every story in Scripture. And I know we've talked about the wise men last week. I know two weeks ago we talked about the shepherds I know today we're talking about Mary and Joseph but I want you to hear me dear one Jesus in this story and in every story is always the hero always he's the one that gets the glory because he's the only one that can take our mess and redeem it and make something out of it So here's the takeaway. Listen carefully. Number one, at times our lives will be extremely difficult. (laughs) You're like, uh, no duh, Sherlock. (laughs) It'll be hard to trust, hard to obey, and sometimes hard to have peace. But it's possible, and you can. It's just not going to be easy. 
Go ahead and know it. Go ahead and know it. It's not this, this, this isn't some, some, you know, uber, uh, uh, psycho, uh, uh, babble, uh, uh, spiritual pep talk this morning. Rah, rah. No, 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 no. This is Bible truth. And Bible truth is hard to handle sometimes. Bible truth isn't easy to swallow sometimes. And we're not going to sugarcoat it. God doesn't sugarcoat it for us. And He wants you to get something more than a little spiritual pep talk from some little sermonette behind the podium. That ain't what this is. This is hard truth. This is heavy truth, especially for some people right now walking a dark road. God deliver us from little, little sermonic pep talks. God didn't call preachers to be pep talk givers. He called preachers to be men of God who preach the word. Not who use today's modern psychobabble to try to get a crowd excited and on the positive note as you leave. No, sir. If you want that, you might be looking somewhere in the wrong place for it this morning. That ain't what we need, gang. That's not going to change people's lives or eternities. But the wonderful Word of God is. You don't need my sermons. You can strike a match to my sermons. We don't need my sermons. We need the truth of the Bible. That's the only thing that's going to get people through. Hogwash on everything else. Takeaway number two. I don't know where that came from. Number two, you and I have the absolute promises of His Word and the surety of His character. See, here's the thing, gang. These two things, God's promises and His Word, God's book and God's character never change. I might change. You might change. Our circumstances change. But the Bible and God's character never change. These are the things that provide the assurance and the confident hope that we need. And number three, can I say this in love, dear one? Stop trying to make sense of all your mess. Because it ain't going to make sense. And stop waiting. Listen, because I know, because I've been there, stop waiting until your circumstances get better. Because they might not. In this world. That's hard to say and hard to hear. Stop waiting to trust until your circumstances change. No, 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 no. You trust now. Make the choice, the choice to trust in the midst of your circumstances. That's radical. But that's the trust that you and I are called to biblically exhibit. Will you do that? Will you make that choice today? Trust Him with your mess, (laughs) your frustrations, your disappointment, your loss, your hurt. Take it all and place it in His hands. Bow before His complete Lordship. Let Him do what only He can Let him work as he best does. Let him work in a way that the ultimate result has his fingerprints all over it.